0: It's been just such a great time going through the book of Romans as a church. Like that has just been such a foundational teaching for us. And just, again, I, it's been such a blessing. Uh, but we're going to be pivoting. We finished Romans chapter 16 last, uh, last Sunday. We're going to be pivoting, and we're actually going to be journeying through a portion of Scripture within the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open those uh, to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be in verses 8, starting off, and we're going to be trekking through the, uh, up to verse 17. So it's going to be a great morning. I'm excited that we have the ability to do this as a church. It's such a privilege. Um, the title of today's message is Our Position and Our Practice. Our Position and Our Practice Paul, when writing to the church of Ephesus, was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he organizes this letter in such a profound way that there's three takeaways. There's three points just within this portion of Scripture. He's first off reminding us of our position in Christ, our position in Christ. Secondly, he's reminding us of how our practice and how our walk should look for those of us as the body of Christ. Thirdly, Paul's doing a great job weaving this whole thing in together, reminding us of what it looks like when our position and our practice align. It's a very, very uh, opening, insightful portion of Scripture. But a little bit of history. At the time of Paul writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's a prisoner in Rome. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, the same church, that he would spend two a second and third missionary journey at, Paul spent time with the church. He loved the church. He fed the church. He knew about the people in Ephesus. And it says in Acts 19 that when Paul was in Ephesus, that many, many, many people came to Christ through a radical work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul, while in Ephesus, was also met with heavy opposition. So... Ephesus, it was a city, the center, the epicenter of really sexual immorality, all sorts of evil things that happened in the place of Ephesus. So Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he has a heart for the church in Ephesus. He's writing to them to encourage, to remind them, to strengthen them, to write, to build them up in how to live their lives, how we are to live our lives in the days in which we live. If you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be cracking those open. The scriptures will be on the screen. I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet as we read the scripture together. I love that we can do this. This is super special, guys that we can open God's word. The scriptures will be uh, available on the screen as we're going through the message today. But I'm going to read the even verses. I'll ask that we have the congregation that they read the odd verses. Again, starting in chapter 5, verse 8, and I'll start. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Therefore, he says, awaken you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Well, we bow our heads as we open up in a quick word of prayer, and then we will start trekking through this section. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. Lord, I I just love these people. I'm honored to be here with your people, Lord, this morning. I thank you that you're present with us, God, in this place. And I ask and pray that the truth of your word today would just come alive within our hearts, God. It's timeless. God, it's preeminent. It's sovereign. Your word, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love, Lord. Be with your church this morning in your mighty, precious name. Amen. Okay. So we'll start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 10. And we're going to be, uh, begin unpacking our scriptures as we go through. Verse 8 reads For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. As the body of Christ, prior to our salvation in Jesus Christ, Paul makes it very clear. God's word makes it very clear that you and I were not just in darkness. He gets much more specific. He says we were darkness. Paul would point to this early in the letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. He explains this in detail. He says, we were among those who conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We Prior to Christ, we lived in darkness, and we were darkness. But something significant happened, church. At the point in time that we believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, we repented upon, of our sin, we asked Jesus to take residence within us, we were declared as righteous by God. A radical shift of our position in Christ. One from that of darkness to one of righteousness. Paul would use this term justified, justified. We've been justified. It means that you and I as Christ's followers have been declared as righteous. What a great thing. Romans 5 verse 1, Paul writing, we covered this uh, a few months back. He says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have been justified by faith. And listen to this church, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So us, the church today, before being justified, before being called righteous, one of the things that is heavy to think about is that we were actually at enmity with God. That means that we were in direct conflict, direct opposition. We were rebels unto a holy God, and we were darkness. But praise God that We now stand in a position of righteousness before God, not because of how well we perform, not because of all the things that we do, but it's a free gift of salvation. So Paul then continues on as he's progressing through this sequence of how we are to live, how we're to practice, how we're to walk as followers of Jesus Christ. He brings up these three points. He says, goodness, righteousness, and truth. These are the three things that we're to walk in. Why is this? And how can this be achieved? At the moment in time that we accepted Jesus into our hearts, at the moment in time that that radical shift took place, what happened is that God's Spirit took up residence within us. We're sealed. The Bible makes that very clear. We are sealed for the day of redemption. But what's so powerful about that? is that that fruit that is produced through our lives and into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods in Mexico, these are the qualities, these are the attributes or a byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a man or of a woman, where God's Spirit resides within. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul continues, and it's important for us as the church today to do an inventory check. This is just Garrett speaking for myself. An inventory check of my heart. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. How do I walk within these things? Is that practice align? Goodness defined in the original Greek text means uprightness of heart, up, uprightness of one's life. David in Psalm 1, a beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture, he defines righteousness that those who delight in the law of the Lord. Truth defined in the Greek original Greek text means to unhide. These qualities, church, are not only pleasing to God, but these are identifiers. These are intended to be markers of those who were walking in obedience and yielding to the Holy Spirit. We'll continue on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. And it reads, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, Earlier, again, we talked a little bit about the church in Ephesus, the things that they were seeing, the things that they were surrounded by. I mean, we can only imagine just how vile of a a culture that was pressing in upon the church, but this recurring theme, sexual immorality, was rampant in Ephesus, Ephesus was an extremely important part of the Roman Empire. It was the capital of a portion of the Roman Empire out of that area of Asia, and they had all these trade routes centered, going to and from. It was a hot spot. But one of the things that took place is, is in this city, they erected a massive temple to this pagan goddess named Diana, or Artemis, the fertility goddess. And thousands of people at a time would worship this pagan goddess Diana, and the worship practices were absolutely appalling. One of the things that I was thinking about as God was just unpacking this to me is that this was actually one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. But I think about us as the church in America today. I think about what we do know about the church in Ephesus then. I think about the similarities and the relatability between the church in Ephesus at that time, what they were up against, and what the church in America is surrounded by within the days in which we live today. God's word is timeless. It's timeless, and it's in a reminder for us to be aware of what we're surrounded in. We unpacked again a little bit of the church of about the church of Ephesus in that there was a rapal, rapid moral decline. Paul here spent time about three years preaching, teaching the message of the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. Gentile is a, is, a, is a fancy word for a non-Jew. Paul would leverage every opportunity that he had, whether it was within the synagogue or whether it was in with a university hall to reach the Gentiles. He used whatever ability he had and whatever platform he had. And it was, it's so powerful because in the midst of all that, think about the regression that took place within the culture of that time to when Paul is actually penning this letter to the church in Ephesus while he's a prisoner in Rome. I think it's safe to say that there there had been a moral decline, just like we see within the days in which we live. But one of the things that Paul is reminding the church about is this, and guys, don't miss this. You and I as Christ followers are to have no fellowship with non-fruit-bearing activities. We're not to have fellowship with it. Paul doesn't say we can be passive. He doesn't say that we can conform. He makes it very clear. And he's reminding the church then, as he's reminding the church today, that we're to have no part of it. He would go in to explain later in the letter to the church of Ephesus of what these things look like. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish amb- ambitions, Excuse me, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, and revelries. These are the unfruitful works of darkness that Paul is speaking about. So to make it very, very clear for for us as the church, he's pointing to this. Darkness produces unfruitful works. The light produces fruit of the Spirit. He makes it clear for us. But Paul doesn't stop there. He's building upon this, um, this exhortation, and he's reminding them of what this looks like. He goes even further, and he says that we're not to be passive or to conform with the works of darkness. He says this, and this is real. He says, Paul states, Paul states that we're literally called to take action against the works of darkness through uncovering or exposing these works, So on Monday, April 18th, I got a text message from a friend uh, from work, and it was about a lobbying event that's taking place in Sacramento at the Capitol against a piece of legislation. Some people may have heard about it, but it's called AB 2223. This is a bill, and I use the name uh, because this name is going to be coming up later in our story today. It was authored by a woman named Buffy Wicks. The bill really, essentially, when you read it and when you go through the details of the bill, it's a direct attack on the sanctity of life within the womb, but also the 28 days after birth. This is a piece of legislation. I read the bill and I said, there's absolutely no way that this is something that was authored up. There's no way that this was written up. I got more information on the bill and I came undone. I I began to weep. And the Holy Spirit reminded me, he said, son, I want you to drive up to Sacramento and to go and to join the church and to join the people there to be a voice for the voiceless and to stand for righteousness. So I asked my wife, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit's giving me a nudging to go to Sacramento. She goes, Gary, that's like an eight hour drive. I said, we can get there on one tank of gas, even with inflated gas prices, It's actually within our budget. And I felt like the, I called my neighbor, Dominic. He's our traveling buddy for all of these fun adventures that we go on. And I said, Dominic, listen, man, if we can get in a car, take a half day at work at 1 p.m., we can get to the Capitol by 9 p.m. It was a horrible, the, the, the timing wasn't right because we didn't think about the traffic through Pasadena. So, <laughs> so we're all we're excited. We got our snacks. We're all going. And then I realized, so we get to the Capitol around, or the hotel by the Capitol around 9.30 at night. We're t- We're wiped. I said, Dom, I don't know what to expect, man. This is going to be, this is, we're just going to continue to pray. And we're supposed to meet at the lobby the next morning at 8 a.m. sharp. Let's, let's get there early so we can get some good seats. We check into the hotel. We wake up in the morning. We get our coffee. We get our prayer time in. And we realize we walk into this lobby and there are literally 3,000 people in this. It's, it's like a sea of people. That showed up. The conference room has like 800 to 1,000 seats. It couldn't even fit everybody. They had three separate groups. They're talking about the bill. They're talking about the details of a bill. It's a Christian-based organization talking about what Lobby Day looks like. And in a little bit, we're all getting ready. We're going to go take our, uh, our time and go across the Capitol and lobby our representatives to share with them the contents of this bill. And this was the anthem. This was the scripture for the day of the lobby event. Everyone was there. Churches from sanctuary, or people from sanctuary, Dom and I representing sanctuary, Calvary Chapel, Chino, Calvary Chapel, South Orange County, churches up in Sacramento, old, young, babies, every creed, every nationality, it was a beautiful thing, but this was the anthem. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9, I'm going to read this aloud. Open your mouth for the speechless, and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. This was the anthem. This was like our marching, our marching anthem as we went to the Capitol. So all of a sudden, in the middle of this speech, a woman comes on stage and says, guys, listen, we cannot go to the Capitol because they've closed down the offices. There's an unruly group there. And I don't know if they were thinking about us as being the unruly group, but everyone did a great job representing Jesus in love that day. And I was so proud of the church collectively, corporately. But we said, but she says, we can do one thing. We can go to the Capitol and we're going to go pray. We're going to go to the steps of the Capitol and we're going to cry out to God. And the hearing for that bill would take place at 4 p.m. That was a shock. No one knew that the bill would be heard by the health committee at 4 p.m. And one of the pastors would testify. In the midst of all this, so let me back up. We go to the Capitol. And at this point in time, one of the pastors is speaking, thousands of people around, CHP is on horseback. And we were very loving and, you know, very kind to them. And they were so kind to us. We have family in law enforcement. And one of the things that was so special is one of the pastors was sharing scripture. He was praying, talking about our position as the church to stand for what's right, even in the midst of what's happening out of being authored out of the Capitol building. And then this song broke out. And I'm going to try to hold it together now. This song broke out. It was the song that goes like this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's a song that we sing to our daughter every night. A song that many of you probably grew up on and that we sing to our grandbabies now. And we're singing this song. I see a woman walking right next to me. Wearing a bright pink blazer with a security team, and I look and it's Buffy Wicks, the author of the bill. And when I look at Buffy, I can see her face. She's pale, she looks troubled. God's word says in Romans chapter 2 that the work of the law is on the heart of the Gentile. We know what's right and wrong, even as a non Christ follower. One of the most incredible things that I thought about is I wanted to say something to Buffy. She literally was probably right where the laptop is at, or the, the screen is at, and she walks by. In my flesh, I wanted to say something. But the Holy Spirit was like, son, pray for her. Keep praying for her. Pray for her because there's something that he's doing in her life, whether it's breeding, uh, uh, whether it's the Holy Spirit convicting. And in the midst of all this, I, I thought to myself, I said, Lord... This is, a, this is just unbelievable. And we're going to continue the story. The story is woven into the, this message today in such a way that the application points are relatable. But let's continue in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12. It reads, For it's shameful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Paul is speaking about sin that is done in a private. Well, we think it's private, but it's not. When we think about sin, and I think about the example that we're talking about today, sin took place in the dark areas, the dark corridors of the hallways and the office spaces of our, of our legislators. This is where it happened. And one of the things that I thought about is, it didn't stay there, though. It's moving through the chain of legislation and voting process right now. It just, it's moving to the Senate here, I think, in a few weeks. But one of the things is that sin that was done in secret then begins to move and makes its way apparent, and the shockwaves are enormous. They impact the lives of millions. Well, the things done in secret, I was reminded of this, the things that are done in secret are observable by an omniscient God. He sees all. He knows all. He, He understands the depths of the valleys of our hearts, Proverbs 21 verse 2 reads that every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. We'll continue on in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Manifest is a fancy word for to make something apparent, to make something visible. For whatever makes apparent or manifest is light, the light exposes sin. It makes it apparent. It makes it visible. Think about the the beauty of the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel exposes darkness in that it brings to light the reason why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross because of a sin issue that exists within, within our lives, that existed within our lives, and it had separated us from a holy God. This is why it's important for us to also remember that when we share the message of the gospel with friends, with family, with co-workers, people in our circles, whatever you want to call it, we should be able to expect maybe a little bit of opposition. It's because what happens in the beauty and the sharing of the message of the gospel, it exposes an issue. A big issue requires a big solution. Jesus Christ was that solution. And it summons a response, church. It summons a response, and the response is... Will I repent, and will I accept Jesus Christ into my heart to be the king of my life? Or will I continue to do it on my own? We'll continue in Ephesians chapter five, verse 14 to 16. And it reads, "Therefore he says, "Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Look at this sequence, guys, that Paul uses. It's beautiful. He says, awake, arise, and receive. Those go in order. Awake, arise, and receive. Prior to our relationship with Jesus Christ, you and I were spiritually dead. But we awoke in the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that has taken up residence within us so that we could also walk in the newness of life that he's called us to walk in. To walk in such a way so that our position and our practice would continue to be aligned. My prayer is that we as the church would remain awake, as Paul talked about in this portion of scripture. Because just like Paul writing to the church of Ephesus then, the hour is extremely urgent. I believe that we could all agree right now that the hour is urgent. We'll continue in the story. So we see Buffy Wicks, and then we transition over to, I think it was the north side of the Capitol. And we see a worship band that had set up probably eight, nine people. And they were worshiping on the steps of the Capitol. It was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen in my life. Songs that we play here, songs that we worship to here. And we saw young, old Babies, every skin color, every ethnicity, every race, worshiping, and the worship continued for five hours. People were sunburned. We saw older men on their knees on the steps of the Capitol with their faces on the concrete praying, interceding on behalf of our state, on behalf of our elected officials, on behalf of the unborn, on behalf of the born, and on behalf of the church. It was beautiful. And I want to play a video clip. Um, If that's okay, Rick, would you mind hitting those lights? And then Tom, I want to play a video clip for you guys so you can see a little bit more of what it looked like that day. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. It changed me forever. It shook me to the core. But you can hear the worship music being played in that park area in front of the Capitol. And I will tell you this, church, it was so evident that what happened is that worship music permeated the dark hallways, the dark offices, the hallways of the Capitol building, where the things that are being authored and taking place in that are painful to, to hear and to know about, But what's so beautiful in that is the light met the darkness face-to-face in that park, in that place on that day. Face-to-face. There's no denying that. And it echoed throughout the entire city square as God's worship, as the aroma literally lifted up in that dark place. And what a privilege that was just to even witness that. But I kept thinking to myself, how did we get here? What happened? How did we get to this point in time right now? And we're here as a church today to witness this. Dominic and I earlier that morning were reading in the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah is just pouring his heart out to God as the, na- as the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem more specifically, even the temple, are completely destroyed. Jeremiah says, he says, the, the stones of the temple were scattered throughout the entire street corners because the Babylonians came... And after the third siege, they utterly destroyed and leveled Jerusalem. Jeremiah crying out, preaching to the people in Israel, in the nation of Judah, repent. Turn from the idolatry. Turn from the wickedness. But before this would happen, before the destruction, there's a scripture that I think about that comes to mind. It's a scripture about one of the top military ranking officials for King Nebuchadnezzar. His name name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, rolling in to destroy Jerusalem. Picture him in his armor, picture him flaunting his pomp, and he looks at Jeremiah and he says this. It gives me goosebumps. He says, Jeremiah, you know why this has come. He says, it's because this nation has been disobedient to the Lord their God. This was coming from a pagan military general. It took a pagan military general Jeremiah knew the truth. He kept speaking on behalf of God to the people, crying out, pleading with him, turn away from this. And before this would happen, Jeremiah takes, this is important, the leaders of the nation of Judah. God tells him, say, Jeremiah, take the leaders of the nation of Judah for a walk. When you take them for a walk, you're going to take a big ceramic jar with you. And you're going to take that and you're going to walk them down to a place called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Valley of Ben-Hinnom was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And he says, you're to tell them this thing. That this same valley, which was identified as they called it the Valley of Slaughter. The place where the children were offered up to the pagan god, Baal. And also, he says, and also because of the fact that the drink offerings being poured out on the rooftops of the nation of Israel, on their homes. These things have been seen. And they continue to not turn towards me. And he says, you take that pot and you hold it above your head and you throw it at the ground and you tell them that this is a direct representation of what's to come because this nation continues to carry on and not turn back to me. They're following after the idols of their fathers, the idols in Canaan. It's heavy. But I kept thinking about this. How do we get here? How do we get here as this happened? Ephesians, we'll continue on as we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, with the last part of the story here in a moment. Chapter 17 reads, 5, verse 17, I'm sorry, it reads, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Guys, there is hope in this message today. It's a heavy message, I understand it, I know that, but there's so much hope in it. Paul is reminding the church, first off, that we're to be vigilant, We're to be discerners of the times and to walk as Christ's followers. Because, again, the hour is extremely urgent. And the will of the Lord is that we would ultimately glorify him. God uses his hands and his feet. He uses his body. I think about what happened yesterday in that video. Diego and his wife and their three beautiful Mexican uh, babies received a house. That was built by the hands of this church and other churches in the area. They had nowhere to live. There was no, they were living in the back. Diego was living in the back of a small camping trailer that was on a truck. And he and his wife are now starting a new chapter with their families. This is beautiful when we think about what it means to glorify the Lord. The words of Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 14. These are beautiful. It reads, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. last part of the story, church, at 4 p.m. at the Capitol, they voted on the bill. The pastor that was testifying in front of the health committee, in front of Buffy Wicks, says this. And it was a very bold thing. And I, and I applaud him for this. He says, he looks at them. Imagine when you look at the health committee. People propped up in their big, important chairs. And you feel like you're this big, right? He says, I just want to let you know this. You are accountable. Fully accountable for the decisions that are made here today. You are accountable to God because life has been authored by God. He testified in front of that uh, team, in front of the health committee. And shortly after this, I was so proud of what I saw happen that day within the church. Hundreds of people filing in, single file, men, women, children, parents were holding their babies up so that they could have them talk, right, into the microphone and saying, Hi, my name is John Doe. I'm from Riverside, California, Calamesa, California, and I plead that you vote no on this bill. And to hear a child vocalizing that, it just wrecked me. Hundreds of people filing in single file, they had to cut it off because they didn't have enough time. The head chief of arms, I think it was his title of CHP, says, "In my 25 years of being here on the state on the state grounds of the capitol, I have never witnessed this turnout for any piece of legislation. It was moving and." even atheists would walk to the front and they say, I want to state my position on this bill. I vote no, this bill is wrong. And so that's just, again, is just another reminder of how this, there's no subjectivity within this. It's, It's clearly objective. But the bill passed later that day by the committee. But we are continuing to pray. The bill now passed through another committee on Thursday with some amendments, but the bill will be going before Senate soon. So as a church, we know what to do. We pray, we come together, we fast, we lift our hands up and we pray and plead on behalf of um, our children. But I remember this. I remember we were driving home, and I remember going through the grapevine, and Dominic was driving, and I looked at Dom and I said, "Dominic, I feel so bad, man. We're driving away from the battlefield. We lost the battle, man." And I just broke down. And he says this, he says, Garrett, God knows why we showed up. God knows why the church showed up, corporately. And he said this, in this moved me to the core, he says, God knows that those people, the representatives know why we showed up. They know that what we're standing for is for righteousness. We're standing for those who do not have a voice. I look at this church, guys, and I look at each one of you, and there's been so many great memories that I've Been able to share with many of you, some maybe not at all, but so I'm excited about those future opportunities. But I think about how this church shows up. This church shows up to feed the orphans in Mexico. This church showed up to build a house for um, Diego and his beautiful three daughters and his wife yesterday, and they're homeowners and they got their keys yesterday. This church shows up in neighborhoods through hosting studies where people are being discipled. The church shows up for the, the orphans in Zimbabwe. Guys, the church shows up. And what I love about this church is we continue to show up. It's a beautiful thing. And the opportunities are such that we will continue to have more and more opportunities to show up. And to show up for what? To show what we stand for. To show the heart of Jesus. The hands and feet of Jesus. So my prayer is that we would continue to do what Paul and what God's word instructs us to do, to stand in goodness, righteousness, and truth. We know our position, our positions in Christ, but that there would be an alignment within our walk of goodness, righteousness, and truth. In church, I want to encourage you guys today. When, when we look at what the, what was being written to the church of Ephesus then, God knew exactly what was coming God knows exactly what's coming. Um, And what I love about our time this morning is that, again, I want to encourage you with this. As the days continue to move more and more and more, maybe look more and more like it did during the days of the early church in the book of Acts, praise God. Because we get to show, we get to be disciples for Jesus, and we get to shine brighter than we may have ever been able to shine before. That's my heart. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we would continue to do that. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we get ready to close, and then we'll close in a word of prayer. I'll ask that we we bow our heads as the team comes up. And we'll pray. Lord, I thank you for this body. I thank you for this church. I thank you for uh, the opportunities that you've given us to be your hands and feet and to stand for righteousness, Lord, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. I look at these faces here, Lord. I love just this these people so much, Lord. And God, you know the days in which we live, and I thank you for this encouragement today. I pray that it would strengthen us, edify us, build us up, and continue to equip us, God, for the work that you've called us to do. Thank you for our position in you, Christ, and I thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you've given us the ability to walk Into practice this, Lord Jesus. In your mighty precious name, amen.